Hi, my name is A.D. Silverstein, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Impresario Rock and Roll Radio Show. On this podcast, we present some of the best subterranean rock music throughout the world. This particular episode will feature the singer-songwriter Ethan Lipkin, and you are currently listening to his song, River Song. And he's gone. There was a girl in the river. She jumped in with all her clothes. Drifting along, she was singing her song and tapping her toes. Unlike most of the artists who will be featured on this show, Ethan is an old friend of mine who I've known for over 10 years. I first met Ethan in my ninth grade Latin class, but we didn't get close until the following year when him and a talented singer who goes by the stage name Shug asked me if I would play guitar in their band. At the time, Ethan was playing drums, and I'd only been playing guitar for about a month. To say I felt ambivalent about joining these two experienced musicians is an understatement. What I, what I remember yeah, sophomore year. was that you and Shug approached me. Yeah. Probably because of my look. <laughs> like, I had, like, long hair. I probably looked like I knew what I was doing. But, like, I had been playing guitar for a month. It's funny. I don't remember it that way, actually. Maybe it was because of your look, but, like, consciously, it was that was never... Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't remember, like, the origins of that band that, that well. I yeah. just remember us being, like, being in Latin class together and, like, I would always get together and play with Shug and yeah. sort of, like, organically, the three of us somehow got together and started playing yeah i'm sure we sounded like shit oh my god <laughs> I, I know i sounded like shit I was... when i think about ethan back then i remember someone who like so many of us wasn't very comfortable in his own skin either musically or personally on a personal level i remember his parents were separated which definitely seemed to weigh on him and then musically while ethan was an experienced multi-instrumentalist who played euphonium drums and a bit of piano he didn't seem very passionate about any of those instruments. I also don't think he knew who he was yet musically. He never seemed to write any music back then, which on the surface seems odd, because he definitely had a lot to express. But I don't think he knew yet how he wanted to express it. Wanderers chase after cargo trains out in the pouring rain Soon they're all gone Sorcerers Gaze into crystal balls Hiding behind the walls Casting a spell Truth sayers Black cats and thunderclouds Bad omens all I think the first time I took notice of Ethan's original music was towards the end of college. I heard River Song and was shocked that this awkward friend of mine from high school had transformed into not only the best songwriter that I knew, but maybe one of the best songwriters of my generation. One of the things that struck me about his music was how earthy it felt. It was acoustic, rich with vocal harmonies, and had a quality that harkened back to a simpler time before automation, artificial intelligence, global warming, and mass media. The music was an escape that had a power to round off the harder edges of life. 
I wanted to know what led to this transformation in Ethan as an artist. I feel like in terms of my musical taste, I didn't really come into my own until very late, like in college, really. Um, or maybe like later, towards towards the end of high school. But like yeah. my a lot of the music I listened to at a younger age was influenced a lot like by my sister. Right. Which is why I listened to a lot of pop, you know? Right. Like growing up, like we're in the car. She was like older than me. She was in the front seat. So she right. was like putting on the music. That's what we, I listened to. Um, and then my parents, like my mom listened to a lot of classical music, my dad also, but he was also into like, um, not so much like straight ahead jazz, but like, yeah. um, kind of like R&B, uh, Motown, uh, just like very like horn driven, like funky kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I was, I was really into that. Uh, and then I, I distinctly remember, uh, freshman year Suge gave me a copy of Abbey Road okay and that was the, like my first taste of the Beatles like I had never like I'm sure I had listened to the Beatles before yeah. then but that was the first time I had one of their albums and yeah. that album just like blew my that mind blew, yeah like I remember I had this uh, alarm clock slash CD player yeah. in my room and I must have listened to Abbey Road like a hundred times yeah. in a row just like, there was like so much to it um, so that was definitely a turning point uh just getting into that, getting into the Beatles, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, everything you do, like, is a piece of the puzzle. Uh, yeah, of right? course. So I guess when, when I went to college, my, my plan was, like, to be really into the trombone. Right. Like, that was part of why I went to Rochester, because I knew at Eastman, like, they had, like, the top people for for trombone. Right. Um, and I remember getting there and like going to this audition and just like getting my ass kicked. You know? Yeah, like I was really, I was. It was another league. Yeah, entirely. Yeah. And so like I, I did get into the lesson program, um, and I, I did it for two years. But then, at, I don't know. At some point, something just clicked. Like I had brought an acoustic guitar with me, and I just found myself like so much more attracted to practicing that in my dorm room right. than, like, lugging my trombone to a practice room and, like, right. and sitting there and, like, having to warm up and yeah. all this stuff. Like, guitar was just, like, I could just pick it up, start playing. <clears throat> and it was also, like, emotionally I was going through some stuff. And that was, like, when I started writing as, like, a catharsis, like, freshman right. year of college. Right. I wrote these, like, awful, awful songs, you know, yeah, like, you threw, like, you gotta, st- you gotta start somewhere. Exactly, exactly, but it was helpful for me, um, and so it was sort of this, like, um, self-reinforcing, like, cycle of, like, feeling a little down, go write a song about it, practice it, get a little better, and, yeah. you know, that just sort of fed into itself. Ethan often alludes to his songwriting as a kind of catharsis, which helps him deal with the darker parts of life. One of my favorite songs of his is called Blue Ever After, and to be completely honest, it's hard for me to explain why. There's nothing particularly new or unusual about it, but despite that, it packs an incredibly emotional punch, which was compounded when I found out what the song was actually about. Drowning in an ocean Shoreline 
yeah, I'm like getting emotional thinking about it now. It's uh, so our friend Lewis, yeah, you know, um, was like towards the end of senior year of college. Um, you know, he killed himself. Uh, this was a friend of ours from high school who I was never really like particularly close with, but we sort of ran in the same circle. Yeah, I think I had the same same relationship with yeah. him. Yeah, um, you know, you like grow up with somebody and just to have just, like, no idea that they're going through or, like, struggling so much with their demons. Um, that was just, like, really shocking yeah. to deal with. Uh, and the song is sort of about, like, I don't know. I In the aftermath of it, like, I was just thinking about his family. Yeah. You know? And um, just trying to, like process what they would be going what they must be going through probably still are going through yeah. you know I didn't really have that many interactions with him but I remember um, I really remember one distinctly which was we played this show at the high school and like I had this like guitar solo and like you know I, I, I thought I was terrible and like I remember afterwards I walked off stage and he was in that band The Posers yep. and uh, I guess they were going to play after us or something like that and I, he could see that, like, I was uncomfortable. Um, and he came up to me and he said, uh, you guys, you know, you guys played really well. Like, you know, if you're upset because you think that you messed up, like, I guarantee you no one noticed. Right? And, like, I remember just thinking, like, sort of how empathetic and, like, perceptive he was. Yeah. Um, was, you know, I'm, I'm sort of glad that I had that moment. Yeah, I remember, like, first coming up with the like melody for that song. I think I was, uh, like, at the beach. It was it was over the summer after senior year. Yeah, like with uh, my family, um, and I, I think I like just took my guitar out to like the beach, like after everybody had, like, gone to sleep, and it was just floating around out there and, uh, thinking about it, and that was, like, where that song was born. One of the things I asked Ethan about was his experience surviving as a professional musician in New York. Here's what he had to say. So I was like working as a paralegal when I first moved to New York. And like I was saying before, it was really just like a means to an end. Like I, yeah. all I wanted to really do was like play my guitar. And, and uh, I was like willing to do whatever I could to like just make money by doing that. Yeah. I thought that that would like really bring me happiness. Yeah. Um, and very quickly realized that really the only way that I was going to make any money by playing music was by like teaching music. Right. Um, so while I was working as a paralegal, I like started picking up guitar lessons or guitar students rather. Um, and I think like by the time I had had enough of the legal world, um, I had like maybe five students. Yeah. Um, so I quit my job, um, and I was, like, supporting myself just from teaching lessons. I, like, really, really hustled yeah. hard. It was basically like a salesman. Yeah. Like, 
just spread word of mouth. I did like zero marketing, just word of mouth yeah. from, you know, one family to another, like, because I was good at it. Um, over the course of a year, I picked up like another 25 students. That's amazing. So by the end of it, I had about 30 students a that's, week. That's actually amazing. Um, and it, I, I was like super proud of it because the biz, like, I was essentially like a an entrepreneur. Yeah, like that's. I mean, I that, was hustling door to door. That's a lot. That's a lot of students. It was a ton of work. Yeah, uh, it was so much work. But I loved it. Like I loved teaching. Um, but at the end of the day, like it wasn't really what I had set out to do. It right. was like sort of taking away from the musical creativity and energy that I wanted to have. Right. By the end of the day, like if I just like a day of teaching would start at like 3 p.m. You know, like after school, <laughs> all my students were kids. And uh, so I'd like go from Brooklyn or when I moved to Queens, from Queens into the city. Um, and I'd just be hustling all over the place. Like I'd That's have to say, I was basically at the, at the whim, at the mercy of like whatever students I could wow. get. So like maybe I'd have one student on the Upper East Side, another student in like the West Village. And then Jeez. like I was just riding the subway all day. Yeah. Um, just to like, you know, make scrap and, and pay rent. And of course, I didn't like having to like say yes to any student that wanted to take a lesson because like I needed the money. Yeah. Um, but of course, there were students existed like on a spectrum of enthusiasm, right? Like there were some that yeah. were really fantastic and fun to teach and they would practice all the time. And, and it was like. There were some where it was like playing guitar was the flavor. There were some where it was yeah. like pulling teeth, like just trying yeah. to get them to pay attention, right? You know, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is, um, first of all, do you think that the internet killed the music industry? Or, like, if it didn't kill the music industry, because there clearly is still a music industry, do you think that it killed the art form a little bit? No. No? I don't think so. Uh, I think it definitely changed the landscape. And I mean, I wasn't really around before. I mean, yeah, I grew up without the internet and saw the internet, like, become a thing. But, yeah. Um, you know, technology is always, like, disrupting things. Like, right. what was the music industry like before radio? Right. right. Like, would people say the same thing? Like, oh, now you have these DJs who are, like, taking bribes, basically, to just play one person's song over somebody right. else's. So, like, right. um, I don't think it killed the art form at all. I think it, like, leveled the playing field for everybody. Mm. Um, because now the the barriers to entry to, like, becoming a songwriter or, like, producing a track and having people listen to it are, like, essentially the cost of, like, having a laptop, right? Right. Um, so, like, for... You could probably even do it with a Chromebook or whatever. Like, um... So there's there's just now so much more noise that you have to cut through. Um, yeah. So the competition is much greater. Um, and also, with, like, the social aspect of the internet, uh, you get these, like... It's like groupthink on a huge scale, right? right? Like if if something's not already popular, it's less likely that it's going to become popular, right? And if something is already popular, it just becomes like hyper this like feedback loop of groupthink where like right other people like this, so it must be really good. One of the biggest problems with music on the internet is that algorithms do not promote music based on quality, but rather popularity. Ethan has 59 followers on SoundCloud, and chances are that if I didn't know him, I never would have found his music. It just goes to show you that if you manage to sift through the noise, I think you'll find that this generation's got soul.
next time on the Impresario Rock and Roll Radio Show. This time we come finally come to America and have a tour, and we sold out in New York. That is really, yeah, exciting. But uh, I know we still have a lot of things to do. I want to tell everyone, all of us is always on the midway. We are not in the end, and we are not in the beginning. We are always here. Tune in to an exclusive interview with the Taiwanese band Elephant Jim. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Ethan Lipkin. If you liked what you heard, please download the podcast and write us a review. And if you're feeling extra affectionate, follow us on Instagram at impresario underscore official. Also, I'm always looking for new bands to interview, so if you know of any, shoot me an email at aaron.impresario at gmail.com.